Merry Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And what we're going to be talking about today is what the angel said. The angel makes an announcement, and it's really significant what the angel says. It's also very significant what the angel doesn't bring up at all. My favorite Christmas movie, I've, I've enjoyed this movie my whole life, is It's a Wonderful Life. It's a classic. You watch George Bailey, and George Bailey is this little kid. He has these problems. He falls in the ice or actually jumps in the ice to save his brother. He loses the hearing in his ear because of that. World War II breaks out, and he can't go because he has a bad ear. But his brother goes and becomes a hero, and everyone has a great life but him. And he's stuck at Bailey's Savings and Loan. And he sits there in this little town until he gets to the point where he wishes he had never been born. He's on a bridge over this frozen icy river. And Clarence, the guardian angel, jumps into the river. And instead of George taking his own life, he jumps in the river to save someone else. And his whole thing is, I wish that I had never been born. And Clarence grants him that wish. And he gets to see his life again without him there. And so he goes through the entire story, and he never jumped into the water. He never saved his brother, so his brother was never a war hero. He never married his wife because he wasn't there. He never had any of his children. The little town fell apart because the savings and loan was not there to protect them from Mr. Potter. And by the time that it's over, when he comes back and he's really back in his life, he realizes it's a wonderful life. More than likely, probably the universal thing that everybody wishes, I would imagine the thing that I'll think is, I probably wishes it fairly regularly. I know I do. This is the kind of thing that I'll think is, I, I would love to do my life over knowing what I know now. Wouldn't it be great to be able to be whatever age you are, I'm 55, to be 55 years old and to keep my memory but then to be able to go back to some specified period. I'm going to go back to when I was 13. I'm going to do high school better. I'm going to study. I'm going to know what's important and what's not important. Uh, for me, I would meet my future wife sooner. We, we grew up in Whitehaven together. We didn't meet until we were in college. Now, that's kind of odd because Whitehaven is a small community, and for the fact that we never overlapped, but for the first 20 years of my life, we never overlapped, and I would, knowing what I know now, if I could go back to 13, I would want to what George Bailey did. George Bailey went and found his wife. She was an old maid. She was a librarian because she never married him because he had never been born. And I would go back. One of the things I would do back in the early 1980s, I would have bought a lot of Microsoft stock. <laughs> I would have bought Yahoo. I would have sold Yahoo. I would have bought Google. You know, just I would have done this. If I could go back a month ago, I would have gotten out of this stock market a month ago. <laughs> uh, there, there's all these things that you would do. We have a place at Pickwick Lake, and there are these bothersome markers. There's these buoys, these navigational beacons that are in the way. You have to be careful. You don't want to hit one. If you hit one with a ski boat, it's going to tear your boat up. You're going to hurt yourself. They're just a nuisance until you realize what they're there for and until you need them. 
If you're at Pickwick Lake, if you're out on the main lake and you're heading south, when you get all the way down close to Iuka, Mississippi, the river, if you will, makes a really big Y. You kind of dead end into the, into the ground, into the shoreline, and you have to turn left or right. Well, the way that you're going to naturally want to turn is right because it's a lot bigger. So you turn right, that's the big channel. You take the big channel, you go in, you go past the little Eastport Marina, you keep going in there, and you only go about four or five miles, and it's a dead end. You've gone into Bear Creek, it's huge, but it's short. And you go, I've made a mistake. Then if you'll come back, what the river was actually doing is it was going east. It had turned left. It's going to Florence, Alabama, and it's getting really narrow. It gets really, it becomes nothing but a channel by the time it finally gets to Wilson Dam. So as I'm at Pickwick Lake, I'm going to stay in the big water, which is going to put me in Bear Creek, which is going to put me into a dead end. Or I can follow these markers. And these markers are going to take me through a really narrow area to a dam that's going to take me to another lake, to another lake, to another lake, all the way to the other end of Tennessee. Now, if I understand what the markers are, then I can learn to appreciate them. Sometimes we have markers that they're just bothersome. We don't look at them. We don't care about them until we realize that we've made a dead end. I have twin boys that when they were in college, they hiked the Appalachian Trail. That's a big deal. You hiked 2,000 miles from Georgia to Maine. So you're following this, this mountain ridge, and there's this thing that they call a blaze, but it's, it's a capital A and a capital T kind of all put together. It's the little AT symbol, and they put it on a tree every so often. So you know, somewhere along the way, it'll be on a rock, it'll be on a tree, and you'll hike. Sometimes you may hike for a while, and then you'll see an AT. You'll see a blaze. And then you'll hike a little bit longer. If you haven't seen a blaze in a mile or two miles, you've gotten off the trail. You may have hiked that day. You may have hiked for four miles the wrong way and have to turn around and go back until you can find those blazes. When we get into the story of the manger, when we get to the angel, the angel has unbelievable perspective. The angel is looking at the event not from what you and I can see and not what the Bible writers tell us. Luke is telling us something. Each one of them has a story to tell. Matthew gives us an account. Luke gives us an account. But what the angel's doing is the angel is giving an eternal perspective. You know, if we can get into God's viewpoint, if we could get into heaven and look back, if we could do It's a Wonderful Life, if we could go to heaven and be there for 10 minutes. And then God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you live your life again. I'm going to let you go back and do the whole thing. We would have such a mission. I've been on a bunch of mission trips. I've been on, been on a lot. Where we predominantly went was Africa. The longest trip that I remember, I think, was 18 days. You'll get into, we would fly to Johannesburg, we'd get in cars, we'd go up into the Petty area, or you know, we would just kind of northern South Africa, right at the Zambia border. You'd get into these really remote places, you'd get into bad situations, and then when you got there and you unloaded, they said, all right, this is where you're going to be for 18 days. And it was horrible, but it didn't matter, because it was only for 18 days. 
And so the entire time you go, I mean, there was one time, I'm not making this up, we were in Kenya. It was Penny and I and another couple. We were in Kenya. We've gone all the way up to Mount Elgon. We're on this coffee mountain plantation. We get there. Our van gets stuck. We have to get out. We're walking in the mud trying to get to this little hut that they have for us. And as we're walking, it's like a, a comedy show. We start losing our shoes and stuff. And so as you're walking, your foot would go down. And by the time we got there, this one girl, Jennifer, she, she had lost, her foot had gone into the mud. She brought it up and she couldn't find her shoe. I mean, it was two feet down in mud. So we finally get to this little building. It was, looked like it was about to fall over. We go in there. We, are, we don't have any luggage. We're hot and cold and wet and scared and mad and everything else. We go in there. We sit down. The place is just a rat hole. We sit down. We lean against the wall. We're going, we don't know what the next step is. We've been there for like 10 minutes just sitting there. Your glasses are steaming up. You're just sitting there on the ground going, I'm not sure when the van's going to get here, if the van's going to get here, where our luggage is, if we're going to have any luggage. And all of a sudden, this old, old man walks in. Uh, it, it's like Christmas Carol. This old man walks in, and he's got a lantern, and he's got this huge leather book. And it's this old man, this guy that lived in the village, and he comes in, can't speak any English, and he takes the book, and he puts it down, and he opens it up, and he's pointing, and he's just pointing at this book. And we're going, dude, I mean, what, what does he want? I don't know what he wants. And so we get up there, and we look, and I go over there, and I look, and I look at Penny and Jennifer and go, hey, we've got to check in. And we, we're, he's, the, he's the bellhop. We've got to check into this hotel. And so you look down there, and everybody that stays at this old coffee plantation, some guy, whoever owns the plantation, picked this guy in the village and said, every time someone comes on the plantation, they need to register. And this guy, just like a, a, a Japanese fighter on some island in World War II that burned, this guy still got that book to go, and he's still fighting because nobody told him that it was over. This guy still got that book, and he's been doing I mean, this book that goes back into the 50s, and we're still signing. And so I picked up my pen. I said, we've got to sign in. And I went, John Hancock. And I gave this great big John Hancock. He was fine. It doesn't matter what you put in there. You just got to sign the book. But we would live there, and we stayed in that little building, the, the place that we stayed, the little room they put us in. There were carpenter bees that were literally eating this building down. Those, the bees that can drill a perfect hole in a piece of wood. And I got in my bed that night, and I laid down, and the bed was not a bed, but I'm laying in this thing, and all of a sudden sawdust starts hitting me in the face and hitting me in the eyes. And the whole thing, so you're sitting there, and you have to cover your face with a towel because sawdust will, will get in your eyes all night long. And you're just sitting there going, it's only 18 days. It's only 18 days. And then the next day, it's only 17 days. Then the next day, it's only 16 days. In 15 days, I'm going to be back home because I had a perspective of something better, something different. This was not my reality. My reality was something far greater. When Jesus came to this earth, from his perspective, it's only 18 days. It wasn't forever. He is coming out of eternity. And from eternity, there he has been, from eternity past, uncreated as one of the members of the Godhead. 
The angels, however that happens, the Bible is so incredibly vague. When did the angels come? Where did the angels come? I'll give you the best theological answer that I can possibly give you. I don't know. But I know that when the story starts, they're there. And when Adam and Eve are in the garden, they're there. And Satan comes in. Satan, just for your theology, Satan's not the biggest, baddest, strongest dude on the planet. The angels that fell, the demons, they get put into an abyss. There's some dude named Abaddon or Apollyon, Hebrew or Greek. He's got, he's got them locked up, and they don't come out until he says so. So whoever the demons are, Abaddon's a bad dude. He's far superior to them. There is a battle that happens in Revelation where Satan is actually kicked out of heaven, which Satan still has access to right now. The Bible says that he stands before the Father accusing the brethren day and night. So that's where he's at. If you wanted to find Satan right now, don't go looking for him in hell. I don't think he's ever been there. That's where he's going, but he hadn't been there yet. If you wanted to find him, kind of like, oh, he is the king of hell. No, he's not. Right now, he is the prosecutor of you in the courtroom in heaven. And every time you do something, he's standing there going, did you see that? This guy's not qualified. This guy's not worthy. This guy can't come to heaven. This guy can't have fellowship with you. He is a fallen creature. So he is up there right now, but there's a day coming in Revelation that he's kicked out. And the Bible says, woe to you if you happen to be on the earth when that happens. Because when he's kicked out and cast to the earth permanently, he knows that his days are numbered and he's going to be in a vengeance. So when that, it hadn't happened, but when it does, you don't want to be here. Do you know who kicks him out? It's not God. It's Michael. And so you sit here and you go, Satan was the greatest of the greatest of the greatest. No, he's not number one and he's never been number one. And before he fell, he wasn't number one. There are those that are stronger and bigger and better than him. Man, anything Satan can do, Michael can kick his hiney out. And will, as soon as God says, Michael, take care of it. Done, Lord. And so you sit here and you go back and you see these angels from this, I think that they eternal perspective. They look down on earth and they look at what, I think that they would marvel sometimes at what is so important to us. There, there's a guy, I, I, I can't, this is not really someone that you'd actually quote, but there's an old folk singer, there's an old uh, music writer, a guy named John Prine, and one of the lyrics in his song is, it's a half an inch of water and you think you're going to drown. And so we go all around and we're looking at everything and something happens and just, Lord, help me, I mean, just, I, what am I supposed to do? And then the angel goes, it's a half an inch of water. You're drowning in a half inch. Just stand up. And so you go through life, and life is so incredibly difficult and hard and these challenges. And then you have the angels that are looking, going, if you can look from eternity past to eternity future, this little window that God made that was called time, it appears time started on the fourth day of creation. On the fourth day of creation, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he says their purpose was to, to, for time, for months, weeks, seasons, the moon. I mean, the whole thing is for time. It appears that on day four, he created a great big cosmic clock. 
That's nothing but a bunch. It's a huge. This universe is one big massive grandfather clock, and you've got a little bitty gear like the moon that's going around a little bit bigger gear called the earth, that's going around a bigger gear that's called the sun, that's going around a bigger gear called the Milky Way, that's going around a bigger gear, and there's some big weights that are pulling, and there's this clock. And God says, all right, I'm going to create this thing called time. We're going to live on that for a period, and when we get to the other end of it, I'm going to stop it and time will be no more. So time had a beginning, time has an end. And this whole clock that we have, it all fell. Larry talked about it last week, where the, the entire universe, everything that we have, is groaning underneath this curse. When we look out there, one of the things that we'll say sometimes is, why did God create such a big, massive universe and not put any life anywhere except on this little planet? I think that the entire universe, everything that we're looking at, is one big, burnt, charred mess. I don't think that it looks like it looked when God first created it. One of the men that, that had an impact on me was a guy named Adrian Rogers. And Adrian Rogers would always talk about, you and I, we're not trains, we're train wrecks. When you look at Adam, when we're made in the image of, of Adam, it's not a perfect functioning train. It's a train that came off the track that is a big crumbled mess. And we're made in the image of Adam. We are fellow train wrecks. And you look up into the universe, and it's one big cursed universe that God says, listen, I'm going to make a new one. Don't worry about it. You can go to planet, to planet, to planet. You can go all over the place. This thing is a burnt up, charred mess. You're going to go, every planet you go to is going to be a big rock pile. There's nothing here but wait. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This one's going to pass away. This one has been cursed. But the new one coming is going to be perfect. If you want to space travel, and I do, wait for the new one. Don't go around going, man, everything's burnt up. Everything's dead. Wait for the new one. It's going to blow your mind. So you have this angel, and this angel's coming from this perspective of eternity. He is seeing the way that God intended. And so he's watching, and he sees the little baby in the manger, and he's going, this child is the Godhead. It's a member of the Godhead. It's one of the Four times that, that, that God is mentioned in the Bible. When you read the word God in the Bible, you have to be real careful because it can be one of four. It can be God the Father. It can be God the Son. It can be God the Spirit. Or it can be something like Elohim where it's the Trinity, where it's all four at the same time. So this angel's looking, saying, the member, the second member of the Godhead that has always been here, he is going to leave. He's going to divest himself of the Godhead. He's going to become a little lower than Elohim. He's going to go to earth. He's going to live a life. But nothing that he does, think about this for a second, nothing that he did was really extraordinary. That's what's so extraordinary about it. He was poor. Jesus is not the first person that's been poor. He was born to an unwed mother. That's not unique. He was despised and rejected. He was hung on a cross. The day that he was hung on a cross, he was hanging on a cross with two other guys. It was a common execution for the Romans. So you're looking at this whole thing. He raised someone from the dead. So did Elijah. 
So did Elisha. He was able to control, uh, the, calm the water, all these kinds of things. We already saw people like do things like that in the Old Testament. Elijah could throw a, a, a spear, an axe handle into the water, bring it up, and the axe head would be back on it. Does that mean that he's deity? No. And so Jesus is divesting himself of the Godhead and goes, I'm going to do what a human could do if a human knew to do it. I'm going to become what humans were supposed to be. And the great temptation that Satan had on Jesus when he was tempting him was not to, it wasn't for him to, if you're God, he's not trying to get him to fall. He's not trying to get him to sin. He's trying to get him to exercise his deity. You do something that only God can do. And when you beat me, you beat me because you, you didn't beat me as a human. And so here God's looking, and he says, Okay, Satan, you have played your hand. Now it's time for me to play my hand. Let me tell you how I'm going to respond. You just destroyed the whole stinking universe. Do you know what I'm going to respond to you with? A baby. I'm not going to send a legion of angels. I'm not sending Michael right now. I'm not going to do, I'm going to send a baby. And a baby that is divested of the Godhead that is going to everything that he does. He's going to do what a human can do. We can do what he did all the way to his resurrection. He came out of the grave. I'm going to do that too. I'm going to resurrect one day. He was the firstborn of the dead, not the only born. He was the first one that conquered death. And you and I will conquer death because he did. He is our gateway. And so he's going, this is what you do, humans. And we watch him. And he goes through this little blip of time on a heavenly perspective. If you're looking from eternity, if you broaden the horizon from eternity past to eternity future, do you know how long Jesus was on the earth? He was over. Just boom. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to be born of a, of a virgin. I'm going to be born in, in, in Bethlehem. I'm going to live in Nazareth. I'm going to be a Galilean. They're going to hate me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to have beaten Jesus, beaten Satan at his own game. I'll be back in just a second. Angel is looking back. I did it. And the angel is looking at it from that perspective. With all of that as an introduction, look at our text. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Let me ask you a question. During the 33 years that Jesus was on earth, did he do that? No. Look at it again. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. He didn't reign over the house of Jacob. And his kingdom will have no end. That didn't happen. What, what the angel is looking at, he is overlooking the birth, the life, the death the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, the great day of the Lord. He's looking going, do you know who this is? 
who this is, this guy is going to reign forever and ever and ever. He doesn't focus on the night of the birth. He doesn't focus on the 33 years. He doesn't focus on the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He's saying, this is the Son of the Lord Most High. I think the best thing that we can do at Christmas is to look at the baby the way the angel looked at the baby. The angel saw him as the ruling, reigning, uncreated son of the living God that had been here for all eternity and will be here for all eternity. He's looking at this baby going, do you have any concept of who this is? He's going to be here for such a brief moment of time. And then he's going back. So here we are. We're at the end of this thing. Yeah, I wish that I could go back. I wish that I could know what I know now. I wish that I could live my life again. We have that chance. It's not just a wish. It's not a wish that I could go back and buy a stock, but it is that I'm going to get a brand new life. You know what heaven is, I think? And the, the, the bigger the mess that you go through here, I think the more promising this is. Do you know what I think heaven is? It is a great, big, massive do-over. God, can I have another chance? Now that I have come to you, now that I've asked you to forgive me, now that I'm a Christian, now that I know you, can you make everything over? Can you create a new heaven can you create a new earth? Can you create a new body for me? Can you allow me to be what I was supposed to be? And then we get into heaven and go, everything's right. And it's right forever. So what do we do now? You look for those markers, those little annoying navigational beacons that are out there in the water, those things that'll get in your way, instead of going, these things are irritating to me, go, follow them. Follow them. Because they're going to take you through narrows that you won't know to go through. They'll keep you out of the broad water that's actually a dead end. And it'll take you through, and you'll sit there, and you'll go, what I would do, if I could live my life again, more than meeting my wife earlier, more than knowing what to buy and when to buy, more than any of that, if I could go back, if I could go back to 13 and live my life again, there's two things that I'd want. They're really the same thing. I'd want to be more godly, and I'd want to sin less. I would love to know today is the day that that stronghold enters my life. I'm 13 years old, and all of a sudden you go, right here, right here is when this happens. And right here is where you'll begin to struggle with that, and you're going to be 55 years old and still struggle with it, and I would run from it like the plague if I knew what it was, if I realized what was happening. And so now, here, what can I do now? Well, I mean, what can we do with all this? We can go, i tell you what I want for Christmas. I know what I want to do with this baby in the manger. This is what I want to do. This is what it makes me want to do. I want to be more godly. I want to be a man of God. What the baby makes me want to do. 
be a man of God. My invitation to you, it's what Christmas Eve, Eve. Is that a word? Here we are. Man, you're about to go through the whole thing. We're headed to Mama's right now. We're doing a Christmas in an hour. What, what do you want to take from this? We all got up. We all got dressed. We all came to church. We're all sitting here. What would be a success for us to walk out saying, I want to be more godly? My desire, if I can see it from a better perspective, is I want to be more like that baby. And that is my word for you. Let's pray. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Um, Sherry, would you come? Two Sherry. Y'all come up here and help me. Today. We have bread and we have wine and juice. Wine's purple and the juice is yellow. And so I know it's a little crowded uh, this morning, but I, you'll be able to manage, I think. If Eric can get through that mission trip, uh, we can come up here and, and uh, drink and eat. And we can acknowledge the reality of God sending His Son over 2,000 years ago to this earth. We can embrace the benefits of why he came. We can declare that that's who we know. That's who we have been changed by. That's who we love. That's who we want to follow. And we can acknowledge our hope that someday we will be a part of that do-over that because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross we get an opportunity we get an invitation to be a part of that do-over if that is your belief if that is your hope if that is your intent then I invite you to come and to eat and to drink and to remember uh, Michael Shira where are you are you, we going to have people on the right and the left to pray? There will be people on my right and my left who, at the windows that would love to pray for you if you have a specific need. If you'd like to know more about what Eric was talking about, how do I get in on that? How do I experience that life-changing gift? These people on my right and my left, they would love to tell you more about that. If you have a burden that you've been carrying alone for a long time, and you'd like somebody to carry it with you. They would love to pray with you. So you come. You come and you eat and you drink. You remember and you celebrate.